I've been doing an awful lot of, of um, collecting and decided that uh, quite a lot of it I will go to these various sources. Uh, some are, of course, uh, written over here, some written in the States, and uh, Stonehenge decoded. Uh, Hawkins was born in this country, and then he went to Canada and then to the States. So we've got quite a, a cross-reference books, so to speak. Largely, I'm asking questions. Where and from what stock did the Druids come? We know that they were highly intelligent, well, extremely well educated, that they had a knowledge of Greek. Did they come from East Africa? And now here we go to Max Freedom Law. He wrote the first book, This is the Secret Science Behind Miracles. But when he wrote his first book, he studied a great deal about the language and tried to find the source. And he asked at the end of the book for anyone to write to him who had any kind of information. And over a year after the publication of that book, he had a letter from a retired English journalist named William Stewart. And this man, William Stewart, had been in Africa, in North Africa in his younger days, and found in the Atlas Mountains of North Africa a Berber tribe that, to his surprise, spoke almost identical language with the Hawaiian kahunas. Many of the words were almost identical in their phonetic spelling. And he got himself uh, adopted by the only kahuna left in, in the North Africa group. She was a very wonderful woman, and she became her blood son. And her daughter was learning the lore and the ways of the kahunas. And before they got very far, a stray shot from a band of hunters killed her outright. And so all the knowledge and all the language was lost. Now, those people, according to this man has done a tremendous amount of research, and uh, his theory is, and more than theory, I think he has proved it, that the Polynesian language, Hawaiian and, and so forth, all the Polynesian words, goes right round and links up with Morocco and North Africa and Palestine. And, uh, you know, often in the... Uh, New Testament, Jesus says it over and over, for those that understand it's so and so, and for those that don't, it's something else. And he kept on this sort of double talk. Well, he has written one book, the last book, it was published after he died, What Jesus Really Taught. And it is the most fascinating book, which gives us a tremendous interpretation with the symbols and the, when he talks about the locusts or the grasshoppers or he wasn't really talking about grasshoppers at all. These were words that were used in the code. I feel uh, that there's been a, a tremendous ignoring, so to speak, of the North Africa and of Egypt. And this is why I pricked up my ears last time when uh, Shirley said that she thought Christianity came out of Africa. Well, I think a lot more than Christianity came out of Africa. And I think that we could uh, really find two sources 
uh, for the druid people and uh, Spence it's got quite a lot Louis Spence in his Mysteries of Britain which is extremely helpful and uh, in page 21 I'll just put that on my notes the race now generally called Iberian or Mediterranean by the majority of ethnologists is probably the last wave of a well-marked stock having its origin in northwestern Africa and which during thousands of years sent out impulses both east and west. Its precise place of origin we do not know, but Sir G., perhaps the most competent and experienced of historians, believe this to be situated in the region of the Sahara. Now, you know, we've always thought that the Sahara was not always a desert. And now the photographs which they've taken from the satellites. I don't know whether they've uh, noticed this or, or whether it's been reported over here. But the aerial photographs taken from the spacecraft and the satellites, but particularly from the, the uh, spacecraft, space shuttle stuff, they have found uh, towns, cities really, uh, rivers, roads, all showing through the sand of the Sahara. And uh, this, of course, is the pole shift. Now, a great deal of our mystery, of our lost peoples, uh, can very well uh, come in uh, to this area, which is now a desert. There are no building ruins that we know from them, a sacred groves, especially oak. And, of course, the tree worship uh, was at one time tremendously important. In fact, the only religious worship we know. Of course, they were tremendously uh, interested in trees, not only in their groves, but in medicine. And uh, we have the um, mistletoe, their tremendous interest in the mistletoe. Well, we are still using it for medicines. I had a marvelous herbal sent to me for Christmas from one of my students. There's quite a lot there about mistletoe. And the herbalists in Europe are using it, I think, this is a German translation, uh, a lot more than we are here. Although the homeopathic people, of course, still know about it. But uh, in the Golden Bough, uh, we, it's talking about the Beltane fires which of course they still keep up in Scotland but the most considerable of the Druidical festivals is that of Beltane or May Day which was lately observed and still is like the other public worship of the Druids the Beltane feast seems to have been performed on hills or eminences they thought it degrading to him whose temple is the universe to suppose that he would dwell in any house made with hands. Their sacrifices were therefore offered in the open air, frequently upon the tops of hills, where they were presented with the grandest views of nature and were nearest the seat of warmth and order. This was uh, by a man named John Ramsay, a friend of Sir Walter Scott. I think he has a very, very good approach there 
I think this can well account for the fact that they might have used what was there but they did not build and uh, this it seems strange that people as as, uh, cosmopolitan as they were did not believe in in houses or in temples or in uh, a tremendous knowledge such as we have now uh, tremendous importance I should say such as we have now they were not above using what was already there uh, sacred centers like Stonehenge apparently they had a great tolerance for the beliefs of other people and a great respect for what went before them uh, but they themselves were not stone builders now of course I my own personal theory is that they were Atlantean the, the remains of the Atlantean uh, people there's a tremendous uh, druid traditions and history in Ireland now if they came from the east or from Africa and went across Europe and through Britain they were hardly likely to have bypassed everything and had this uh, tremendous centre in Ireland and uh, I think of course Lioness as it came to be called went down in some of the Atlantean uh, tragedies and I think that the Irish Druids were some that went that way and were settled in of course it wasn't the island then it was part of the general archipelago I think they're separate survivals now although they didn't do any building above ground you heard me talk about the underground temple in Margate uh, oh dear what was the name of that famous medium Eileen Garrett she was an Irish girl grew up in a very lonely neglected Irish childhood very good training for mediumship she was very well aware of fairies and nature spirits and uh, she writes in some of her books I only have one but I have I used, I used to read them when they went on the book table and I didn't always remember to keep a copy for myself but in one of her books she talks a lot about the remains of and she didn't know about the Margate Temple but her descriptions match that and then in the Middle East there were persons that may be all bombed away now there were remains of several underground temples in the Middle East now could we possibly uh, remembering the as I feel perfectly sure what we call the chalice well uh, was an underground temple is it possible that although they didn't build above ground they did build below they excavated of course there were so many caves such a tremendous number of caves when you think of the caves of France and Spain and some in Germany and the caves around here uh, there is a tremendous amount of underground accommodation so they may have used that did another party from Atlantis uh, survive through Morocco and Egypt they have found Egyptian beads at Stonehenge and what we call the chalice well is built with a royal Egyptian cubit 
So did they, have we got a division? Some went one way and some went another. Some nature worshippers we know the Druids were. Also astronomers and astrologers of no mean order. So is the zodiac, which I believe to be Atlantean, the evidence that the Druid priests were some of those who had survived the Holocaust? Now, where do we come to Spence again? You see, I've been very busy with all my bookmarkers. What was the thing? Page 48. Uh, there is evidence in the case of the Jewish religion. It is so generally accepted. The evidence of the cult of the dead in both Egypt and in Britain is so evidently accepted as to need no demonstration here. But as regards its application to the early British faith, proof is essential for the reason that so far it has not been tested or even advanced theoretically in any but the most perfunctory way. Let us see then that evidence, what evidence exists that Druidism was actually a branch of the great Iberian or Mediterranean cult of the dead. The Gauls, says Caesar, state that they are all descended from a common father, Dis and say that this is the tradition of the Druids. Now, this is merely the Latin form of Pluto or Hades, god of the dead, lord of the shadowy regions of the departed. With great, grand contempt for the mortal lot, says Aminus Marcellinus, they profess the immortality of the soul. One of their dog, dogmas, writes Pomponius Mila, has come to common knowledge, namely that souls are eternal and that there is another life in the infernal regions. And it is for this reason too that they burn or bury with their dead things appropriate to them in life and that in times past they even used to defer the completion of business and the payment of debts until their arrival in another world. How convenient. <laughs> Indeed, there were some of them who flung themselves willingly on the funeral piles, pyres of their relatives in order to share the new life with them. Valerius Maximus, describing the Druids of southern France, says, It is said that they lend to each other sums that are repayable in the next world, so firmly are they convinced that the souls of men are immortal that they sacrifice criminals and even the innocent to the manes of the dead or to the gods of the dead is also clear enough from the statements of Caesar and so on and so on and I will come to that somewhere else later now this of course may be another reason for not building it's like the uh, uh, so much of the, the Christian story or at least the story of Jesus was not written down because they thought he was just coming back well, there's no question they're just coming back, although apparently they did uh, believe in reincarnation. But this was such a, to them, such a transitory existence that they, uh, they didn't bother, except in jewelry and in their personal clothing, which apparently was uh, much more elegant than what the old dears wear in the, in the Druid ceremonies today as they always look at you, they borrow the sheets and have not time to make anything. But they did have the most, and I can't think where uh, that particular piece of information came from, so you have to take my word for it, so to speak. 
uh, they had the most elaborate robes, gorgeous robes, which of course the leading uh, druids have in the Welsh ceremonies. And these were very often in the form of bird gowns made to look, robes made to look like the feathers of a bird and the wings of a bird so that when they put up their arms they were flying now at what time did man forget how to fly because we have to realize that the zodiac and many of the great uh, things in the ground in Peru and the stone at Malbec all around there you could only see it from the air you could only read the zodiac from the air you can only do so many things from the air and uh, in this uh, place in Peru where there are all the runways just like our runways today and on the cliff is the three-pronged trident which was a symbol of Atlantis now whether the we don't have the actual word druid mentioned down in South America and I'm quite sure that a tremendous amount of similarity could be kept there but going back to the robes what have we got in Egypt but animals and birds and uh, of course I do know quite a bit about the North American Indians because uh, uh, Quaker people always tried to help the Indians and of course they have been treated very, very badly. And uh, uh, I had uh, some very wonderful friends in the, uh, the tribes in New York State. In fact, I've got an Indian name. They reckon me as one of their people. And uh, then, of course, in the Northwest, uh, again, I've always studied the Indian way of life. And here we have uh, the most marvelous bird robes. We have in almost every tribe and every nation, uh, we find two things. We find these robes uh, almost identical with Egyptian and uh, Druid robes. And we also have the wheel of life. You know, I never wear a cross. Chang told us many years ago you must never wear a cross but only the cross within the circle which is the wheel of life and the four spokes and the Hopi Indians told their young men long ago, centuries ago if the white man comes carrying a cross ignore him but if he comes with a cross within the circle welcome him now, uh, close to Canterbury, I, I remember hearing about it, but I never saw the illustration of it until now, and you may like to look at that later. That beautiful piece of jewelry is a druid brooch, which was found close to a place called Barham, close to Canterbury. And uh, one of the things that Chang has lectured on many times is the sevenfold self of the 70 physical, mental, spiritual, so on, so on, till you come to the heart of God. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We here got it, the esoteric symbols of the wheel of life and the continuity of life. And it's exactly as we have been given this information. 
so it is a very uh, a marvelous thing to me that brooch because it, it ties in with all the other things then we have many hills to the sun silvery for instance as God a silvery means hill to the sun we've got the many tours like Glastonbury uh, the White Horse Hill uh, all over the country all over Britain there are these hills sacred to the sun now the thought has occurred to me they so often are close to the sacred say close to the, the uh, zodiac close to Hans uh, Avebury and so on and so forth did the druids adopt these centers that were already there the stone centers and then throw up their own hill beside it because they so often come beside and we have no proof that the hill and the stone circle are the same age and built by the same people uh, they were contributing their sacred grove or nature worship even though they used the stone temples now of course there are some stone temples now the one is there a hill near Clava you know by Inverness you brought in is there a mound near there Clava C-L-A-V-A it's close to Inverness and both yes both Shirley and I love it <laughs> no but I have a feeling that they they borrowed that circle Yes, that, that was, was yes, yes. Um, that was a feeling I had there. I could sort of feel, you know, the swish of the robes there. Yes. Yes. And you see, so many times, and I'm questioning. Uh, I've always been a questioner. My drive my poor mother frantic. What's beyond the sky? <laughs> which comes first the chicken or the egg so that reduced poor mother to pink features and she would find something else to do uh, I think we we've all been inclined I know I was for many decades really inclined to accept everything just as it happened if the druids were there so what but where did they come from what was their origin who taught the druids in other words now um there's a lovely description of them in this book uh, by Colonel Braggine which is the um, the shadow of Atlantis and uh, he gives a, a beautiful description uh, of the uh, something of what I have read there but he talks about the catastrophe of Atlantis was preceded by great inundations and strong earthquakes after which according to Plato during one ill night the continent sank in the ocean abyss I always felt that was the last time we find in many classical sources clear allusions to this catastrophe and some writers as for instance Marcellus give us valuable details concerning the subsequent events he says that the spared Atlanteans emigrated to western Europe and uh, 
this information they received from the Gallic Druids. And so it goes on. Every source you study, everywhere you look, uh, we seem to come back to this idea. As the Druids were especially important in Ireland, as I said, it's hardly likely that they passed through England. So I feel that that was a separate colony or university. We are told that the aristocracy, in quotes, of Gaul, sent their sons to the Druid schools in England. And of course, tradition has it uh, that Jesus, when his uncle's boat had to go into dock, also went to one of these Druid schools for some years, in his early teenage years, I guess. But no buildings are mentioned. Unless England was a lot warmer then, studying in sacred groves must have needed hardy students. Some authorities think that masonry originated with the Druids. And of course, in that jewel which I've just shown you, uh, found at bottom, we have a lot of inf- uh, information there. I'm not not, not connected with masonry to know, but uh, anyone who knew a lot about it might possibly find a lot of symbols there. In the old Druidic manuscript, uh, which I read a quotation many years ago, and then I came across it, also found it from somewhere. There be three men that all should look on with affection. He that with rapture looks upon the face of the earth. He that with delight beholds beautiful handiwork. And he who lovingly looks on a little child. The souls of all such pass into higher cycles of existence. Obviously the Druids believed in reincarnation and also in the transmigration of souls. Was Pythagoras a follower of the Druid faith? Because he, of course, believed in that. One Roman, writing to his Druid friend, said, Death, if your lore be true, is but the gateway to eternal life. Of course there were human sacrifices, but in their time it was accepted. I am sure most children have sung London Bridge is falling down and first you build it up with this and then you build it up with that and then you build it up with pretty maids and nobody has they've sung that all our childhood and never thought any more about it but what they really meant was that the four corner pillars of the bridge the prettiest virgin they could find was bricked up or built up with stones in the corner pillar uh, to protect the bridge and apparently after that it stayed put uh, what about Abraham being told to sacrifice his son what about the many were sacrificed they were thrown to the lions but really they were being sacrificed to the gods of Rome and I think the same should have, could apply to the fires of Smithfield and what do we do? Human nature doesn't change. Every time we have any kind of feast, they kill something. How many turkeys were sacrificed last month? And you know, all these dear good evangelicals and fundamentalists who sing washed in the blood of the Lamb, oh dear, I always feel like holding on to them until I've made them understand. 
they walked beneath the grating and the poor lambs were slaughtered overhead though the blood poured down over the people and that was their baptism and again it was sacrifice and of course the as I say the, when you go to the Mayan people uh, there's a, a very wonderful uh, place in uh, the Mayan ruins where they threw the virgins from the tower and they, they dressed them up in their best costume and their most expensive jewels and they've dredged up a good many of those jewels now most of them are sold I guess because once they realized where they were they just went into the pool and dredged them up there must be still plenty down there so again you've got this uh, this sacrifice whatever wherever you uh, find a worship there's a feeling that to give of their best just as today I couldn't tell you how many old dears in wells have not left their property to the Catholic Church I think that's where this went and then was sold to the social security people where the doctor is up the street uh, the church said we can't cope with any more property and they sold it giving it their best and that was of course the uh, you gave what you loved best and uh, so we've got a tremendous history so to speak of uh, of sacrifice but I must admit that the uh, it doesn't make sad reading considering the Druids complete acceptance of the survival of the human spirit they had so much in common with early Christianity or followers of the way that it was quite natural for them to agree on many things. Uh, Druidism was not confined to Britain, Ireland, or even to Europe. The Essenes drew their light from many lamps, from the East, from the ancient Hebrew, from Pythagoras, and from the Druids. They held a sunrise service worshipping the sun, before they started their normal day of strict rule I said that uh, I had had this experience of a ley line myself but very few people seemed to have studied them and searched and inquire as I could and of course in those days I was able to do this quite a lot and don't I miss it uh, I couldn't find any real record as such as we have here or they have in China there are similarities of belief of the Mayan peoples a great many similarities of belief and uh, too many really to go into here now some people think that masonry had its origin with the Druids also some people with perhaps more facts to go upon think that masonry started with the Mayan people or the Mayaks as they call them to cover all the area and uh, now we have a lot of written material from Caesar Pliny and many others we have folklore some few manuscripts but no ruins and one can only think that they only built shelter type huts of wattle and daub or willies that did not often last and perhaps our lake village is one of the few because I, I don't know anywhere else where there's a lake village that has uh, survived 
I like the one near Glastonbury so well. And my own feeling is that they paid so little attention to this phase of life that they did not consider fine building important. Theirs was a cult of the dead, an immortality of life continuous. Education and philosophy were fine, for they knew the mind was immortal. But to quote an old Oxfordshire saying, they knew that a shroud has no pockets. And if something like Stonehenge was around, sure they would use it, but they were not stone builders. I'm sure the women must have had a hard life, for the greatest philosopher wants his dinner, and is usually woefully lacking in the understanding of the work involved. Quite a few things are still with us. The green recovered cage in which the poor souls were sacrificed and the descriptions are not easy reading. And this was particularly so in Germany where they built these enormous cages, covered them with greenery and then put all the poor things inside and animals especially cats. And what is left of it is that we have the folk dancing and that uh, particularly in the West Country where the man is covered with greenery and sometimes even a cage. And this was uh, exactly what they were using. You see, this is how it has come down to us. The mistletoe has lost much of its medicinal aspects to become a kissing bow. But that is a relic of fertility rites. The Beltane fires still burn in Scotland. December the 25th was a Druid festival, like so many other days that have conveniently been changed over. My own theory is that the first or second Atlantis upheaval, at that time, many were told to leave. Some, and that included the Phoenicians, went to Africa, and many went on to colonize Egypt. Another party went north to Ireland and hence into Wales and England. And what is left of it is still in Wales. I am sure they knew that the Blessed Isles, as they called, were called, would remain above water. Another group went to Gaul and still others to, German, to the German states. And uh, in Gaul they could again follow on the builders of the vast minerals of Brittany although they recognized Britain as the HQ, so to speak. A strange people, and who knows how much of their teaching is still with us. I think the more barbaric sacrifice practices must have died out in Britain, as I cannot imagine that Jesus being involved with them or Joseph either. Uh, where's, there's something here forgotten to put a note down something here evidently that I was to look at although Hawkins uh, sneers at Atlantis very very badly and again I think like our friend Johnson he probably hasn't done enough research and uh, Caesar in his Gallic Wars says throughout Gaul there are two classes of persons of definite account and dignity as for the common folk, they are treated almost as slaves. Now that, if I may pause, you know there was always the theory or tradition that there was a secondary race on Atlantis that was uh, not terribly uh, intelligent and that they were kept as slaves. So this 
I wonder are they carrying on the idea one consists of druids the other of knights the former are concerned with divine worship the due performance of sacrifice is public and private and the interpretation of ritual questions a great number of young men gather about them for the sake of instruction and hold them in great honor it is they who decide in almost all disputes that he didn't have one in the cabinet today if all these druids one is chief it is believed that their rule of life was discovered in Britain and transferred hence to Gaul report says that in the vessel the schools of the druids they learn by heart a great number of verses and therefore some persons remain 20 years under training they make use of Greek letters the cardinal doctrine which they seek to teach is that souls do not die but after death pass from one to another besides this they have many discussions as touching the stars and their movement the size of the universe and of the earth the whole nation of the Gauls is greatly devoted to ritual observances and for that reason those who are smitten with the more grievous maladies and who are engaged in the perils of battle either sacrifice human victims or vow to do so employing the druids as ministers for such sacrifices they believe in effect that unless for a man's life a man's life is paid and what about an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth the majesty of the immortal gods may not be appeased others use figures of an immense size whose limbs woke out of twigs they fill with living men and set on fire and the men perish in a sheet of flame they believe that the execution of those who have been caught in the act of theft or robbery or some crime is more pleasing to the immortal gods but when the supply of such fails they resort to the execution even of the innocent <laughs> the Gauls affirm that they are all descended from a common father and uh, then of course they uh, they think of magic and so on and so forth but uh, in uh, Taylor wrote the coming of the saints uh, and a little bit more to tell about them and this I think by this time at least in Britain they had become a much more uh, philosophical um, intelligentsia sort of thing the druids who were the ministers of religion education and jurisprudence among the Britons appear to possess some knowledge of the Greek language as well as of their native tongue some of them sang to the music of harps they professed to understand the movement of the stars they studied natural science and ethics and especially taught the doctrine of the immortality of the soul and that of course uh, ties in so much with what we read of the early British kings who were definitely educated by the Druids uh, Caractacus the marvellous a British king who was taken prisoner to Rome and who was only in house arrest and uh, uh, the Britannia palace which was his in Rome is now a church and that's where comes the contact with St. Paul and so forth and I said here the fine people such as Caractacus and his family obviously educated by the good priests could have had no association with the blood orgies described in Europe 
We're still left with many theories and little proof. The Druids spring to life already educated, men of authority and wisdom, natural rulers. But who taught the Druids? They evidently had close connections with Greece and Egypt, but they have a strongly individual reputation of people of great dignity. Uh, one thing that um, I don't think you mentioned there was how the Druids came to be exterminated in this country. Well, I don't think they were... They suffered the same fate as everybody else. I mean, if anybody knows anything, the conquering country is going to wipe them out if possible. And Rome did their level best at the beginning. In the end, of course, they came to respect them. But uh, at the beginning, of course, they tried to wipe them out. And uh, the West Country was very much... This, this was always considered a sacred isle, you know, the, the Blessed Isle. And um, I have read that when the Romans first came over in the first waves of... of uh, invasion that they spirited all the people the, the top druids and the top royalty and everybody that was especially gifted in any way and they shunted them all down to what is now Glastonbury and they dug a great big ditch right across and let the, the floods let the ground be flooded and they said oh well there isn't anything down there that's just swamps you know it's not worth going any further and of course the Romans weren't, their heart wasn't in it anyway because they were missing the sun and they believed them. Mm-hmm. And until the, uh, the terrorists, see there's no place anywhere around here that we know that's particularly smashed up or destroyed. And then, uh, before the two or three hundred years had passed when they, they were living here in a peaceable and probably intermarrying quite a lot, and uh, then, of course, they did come down and they did build all the baths and baths and so forth. And but by that time, most uh, as much the Druids as they possibly could, they always used the priests and the prophets again, you see. And, of course, they'd wiped out as many as they could, but never entirely. I mean, they, they fled to Wales, a great many of them, of course, and that's where it survived. The, the last stronghold of Druidism was uh, was it Anglesey. Well, that's just beyond Wales. Yes, think. which is mm-hmm. the, the they were across there. Yes, where the Romans are said to yes. totally exterminate. Well, I the think one. they wiped out. You know, they uh, they probably had gone to Anglesey by sea and not through Wales. Because Wales was such a barbaric mountain fastnesses, and, and uh, it would be very difficult, I would think, to exterminate in a place like Wales. But they probably went across, you see, they went up to Hadrian's Wall, they were up in the north of England, and they probably went across, but apparently they missed the Isle of Man, which seems to have had a Nordic invasion more than Roman. And uh, the Nordic people did not uh, exterminate the Druids like the Romans did because there was such a similarity but the Romans didn't get to Ireland you see no. I think that the, the Roman antipathy to the Druids was occasioned by uh, 
the intense British nationalism oh yes and you see I mean people everybody does it every every conquering every invading country uh, I don't think we've done it quite as much but uh, uh, look how they destroyed the libraries the main libraries and everything else they always try to destroy what they find to impose their own and the the Romans just hated to admit that there was any intelligence or any knowledge or anything of a decent order in uh, every place they conquered they didn't try to interfere with the Jewish worship in Palestine but they sure did in a lot of other places and they certainly did here there was a terrible battle I don't think they expected to find they thought they were going to have a walkover with a lot of savages and they found a highly educated, highly intelligent people with quite a lot of technology, more than they expected and um, they were just curious about it and tried to wipe them out mm. and also, of course, we are indebted to Julius Caesar for a lot of the information yes. Jewish, but of course it may be very, very biased since it was in his interest to yes but you see even so he has a tremendous respect for them and they did eventually and when Caractacus went out you know although they marched him through the streets of Rome you've got these two books haven't you the coming of the saints mm-hmm. and so forth although they marched him through the streets of Rome uh, they still uh, so respected him and his daughter still more that uh, he did not receive any very really terrible treatment and eventually of course he came back to Britain to end his days he had to swear that he wouldn't uh, do anything against the Roman government but he came back and uh, he could still talk and advise rather like Mandela <laughs> he might be under house arrest but he could still talk his children did his children did yes in fact you know in the uh, one of the epistles Paul says sends his love to this man Pudens his brother and his mother and mine and apparently St. Paul's father died and his mother married a Roman I guess that's how he came to have Roman citizenship to start with and the Puden family intermarried with the uh, British family and St. Paul is supposed to live for quite a lot of, spent a lot of time in the Britannican palace. Mm-hmm. You see, and there we've got, uh, and there we've got this tremendous link there. But what always amazes me is the way the distances they covered mm-hmm. and the ways they traveled. Mm-hmm. And there must have been some faster way hang gliding or whatever it was they must have had some faster way but of course uh, you know there's quite a lot of uh, records in um, right up in the Himalayas of Jesus having been there you see when there's this tremendous export of tin and and nobody ever stops to think they seem to think it all went and sat down in Palestine so that would have kept a fleet of ships and all these mines and apparently it went by water through the Mediterranean and then was transferred the inlets of tin to the camel trains and they went through Egypt and to India and all the rest of it and this is where Jesus got free transport again you see and 
the boss's favorite great nagyu. I mean, he could go exactly where he wanted and do what he wanted, and every means to go. Uh, this is why we've got so many records of him in the Far East. And in one of my books on the men people, it gives a, a description of an, of an initiation ceremony, and the words which are used are used in India and used in the Roman church that didn't know what they were saying. It was just a phrase. And it turned out it meant going peace in the Mayan language. All across the world again. Well, uh, this man who wrote this particular book, which is one of my great treasures, a Frenchman named Pongeon, uh, he thinks that masonry started uh, in the Mayan Mayan countries uh, about 40 or 50 years before he wrote this book the Aquarian Gospel came through which came through automatic writing through a man named Levi and uh, in this automatic writing is uh, described the various initiation ceremonies which Jesus went through in the East and uh, in this book on the Mayan ceremonies which of course there's no possibility there was any I mean that manuscript wasn't even published everybody thought it was terrible and Levi was more or less pillared over it um, the Mayan initiation ceremonies are the same and of course we don't have chapter and verse really for what the initiation ceremonies were now Shirley said the other day there were 17 years training the Druids but Caesar said 20 years mm-hmm. 20 years anybody else says come on Brian you got any more to contribute well I'm, I'm very interested in the whole theme of uh, initiation I've often spoken on this subject myself, um, linking in the, the Druids and the spiritual engineering, the ley lines, stone circles, mm-hmm. the fact that our most ancient parish churches are sited on the position of the stone circles. And of course they're facing the east because that's the sunrise. Yes. But my um, my thesis is that the mystery tradition was carried to Britain. I don't say that it didn't also have an independent existence here since we're talking about spiritual seership. But I believe that also it may have been carried here um, really through the migration of Israel people from Palestine well, and the way they came to these, these British Isles and that this, this mystical or mystery tradition has come down to us today uh, for instance through, through Freemasonry well, of course the, they're more or less proof at least I think it's very almost certain that they ended up in Wales because the Welsh language and the ancient Hebrew have got so many similarities and uh, they look so much like it you know that Shirley is Jewish on her mother's side, do you? Mm-hmm. Her mother was a Spanish Jew. Mm-hmm. Mr. Knowles will tell you. 
in the, in the Old Testament it was the Levitical priesthood which had the knowledge of the, of, of the mystery oh, really? which, which would have been done undoubtedly Moses himself of course was an initiate yes. we're told in the book of Acts he was learned in all the wisdom of, of the Egyptians which, yes. which means that he was, an, he was initiated well, into, into the ancient yeah. He was a, a magi- magician, as we would call him, a magician's day, probably. But uh, some of the, the stuff that um, Max Freedom Long, of course, he spent many years in the wide, he spent the whole of his life, he inherited, he met a man who spent 40 years the study and then this man died but he gave everything to Max and uh, Max went to I didn't ever meet him unfortunately he was he died not long after I went to Seattle he was on our prayer list we had him on our absent human list the last year of his life but he was too ill to see anyone but I have mutual friends but one of my students was a student of his and uh, this book which I am talking about uh, if you ever come across it it's one of those that will eventually come to Wessex what Jesus really taught explaining the the kahuna symbols because obviously quite obviously there was this uh, this movement and the language was the same and the symbols were the same and uh, many many times when uh, he spoke in parables and said he was speaking in parables that people couldn't understand he was uh, using the code the code language uh, which of course was uh, picture symbols a great deal Where you see, you've got so many links, so many coincidences all the way through. Mm-hmm. And now the three lines, the three prongs to the Atlantean trident. You've got the three persons of the Trinity. You've got the high, middle and lower self. Now this is what the, uh, the Kahunas work on so much. Uh, the high self, the middle self, which is what we're using in everyday life, and the lower self. Well, of course, the scientists have given it super conscious and subconscious and all the rest of it. But you've got exactly the same teaching there. And the three... And of course seven. Now I told you when I was showing you the psychic photo. No, I haven't shown you the psychic photograph. Sorry, I will be doing later on. Uh, since we've had the film numbered, you know, we buy our films now and they're numbered. We suspected it before, but of course we'd no proof. You say, oh, well, you don't remember, you know. Our extras, our psychic extras, come on seven, nine, eleven and sometimes 13 they don't come on the regular numbers and they're never on the first and they're never on the last 
and we've had that proof of that for years and when people bring me uh, pictures they say well do you see the number of the, the negative no we never thought well I said I've told you give, sure you give me the number on the negative seven is the most frequent nine and uh, not so frequent eleven and thirteen You're looking so seriously at me. Have you got any questions or contributions? Pardon? The last was something I've heard at all before. When you're saying that I hardly read, I remember you telling me the other day that at the time the building was so intense, it was about three degrees warmer. Yes, yes, it was warmer then. But you see, we don't know they don't know when the glaciers receded and when we get this swing which we might get again but um, I think a lot of our questions uh, could be answered with uh, of course we can't dig up the Sahara we know that perfectly well it's altogether beyond expense but these photographs I've seen copies of them because there was quite a, a lot of material about them you know on the a television and so forth time they took these pictures and it was a richly populated richly watered area but then they found tropical plants under the ice camp of South Pole so where do you go so I used to say mother, my mother uh, how did a chicken get in the egg that's when poor mother fled <laughs> in those days you didn't tell children you just departed hastily <laughs> but I think it is largely a one long series of questions because we have so little when people don't live, leave ruins behind when we don't know the, the the only things that we have are the tremendous amount of jewelry and uh, the Romans of course the powers that be might have said go and kill that horde of savages but the soldiers knew they weren't and uh, of course the Phoenicians at what time the Phoenicians came into Britain they apparently uh, they think the, the Shell Temple is Phoenician but there was a tremendous industry in the eastern part of the, county, uh, the country particularly around Thanet a tremendous industry in jewellery and that's how this brooch is so interesting to me and uh, the Romans uh, looked upon this as a mile they wore all sorts of clamps and jewels on their armour and they considered it a you know, gift from the gods whether they ever paid for their stuff of course another matter uh, but they considered it an absolute miracle to find this exquisite jewelry now there we you can say well was it Norse well I don't think there were Norse invasions at that time but how much there was because the Norwegian jewelry and, and in the Isle of Man which of course was a Norse colony for quite a while 
you get a tremendous lot of Norse jewellery and there's one lovely lady I met over there who is of Norse descent and she's a true daughter of man uh, or uh, I forget the pretty name they have for it and uh, she opened she makes this exquisite jewellery and she opened up her shop on Sunday morning because we were only there for the weekend and let someone take us down to see all these gorgeous things and there nothing is uh, it's all traditional designs and traditional jewellery and uh, the three-legged man which is the simple man you know that of course is not either it originated simultaneously in half a dozen places or came there sometime we don't know but uh, you've got a tremendously intelligent uh, tremendously knowledgeable educated people in the Druids and what I would just give a lot to know is where was their school of learning I know they were teaching all the people there but who taught them where did they come from what was it the only answer I think is Atlantis What was the difference between the, the bard and the Ovid? And the what? Ovid or Ovid. Well, were these two different roles? They, they, they used the, the word bard a little bit later on, although, of course, we always think of the bards in connection with the druids. And, of course, bards was a title that was used for the singers, the wandering singers. You see, eventually when they've lost their position and lost their power and lost their money which they must have had uh, they came down eventually I think the wandering minstrels that went all over the country I think they were perhaps the last descendants of the druids in the ordinary way except for these that retired to the mountains of Wales and jealously preserved their knowledge there I don't know an awful lot about them. Can you supply them? The, the word Ovid is usually it's usually uh, the term that you use for the early writings of the early uh, Greeks and so forth. You often see the word Ovid. Oh yes, that uh, that word's been used all the way down. You know, one of the, uh, one of the things I didn't touch on so much, or just in passing, was there. Uh, and again, we can see it today. You know, how much have we kept? How much do we still use? When they wanted to cut the mistletoe, uh, it was a tremendous ceremony and they only cut it with a gold knife mm. now where did they get their gold well of course there's a certain amount in Wales and a certain amount in Scotland although if they had kept their stuff from Atlantis of course there's an enormous amount of gold there apparently they cut it with a knife and it just never touched the ground and it was an absolute ceremonial and what happens when they cut the author on a Christmas and send it to the Queen <laughs> although I get so riled with all these people some people put the old foreign tree at the base of the tor 
Some would have us believe it's the young tree in the churchyard, and it's that poor deer sitting up on the hill that ignores. <laughs> I know it's only half of it, but that's Cromwell's fault, at least his man's fault. But you see, there's so many things that people go steadily on doing. I've still got it now. One thing that we have not really touched on is the usage of the word or the name title Druid and whether when we speak of Druids we are speaking synonymously of Celts. Well, they're not always. Uh, we think of them always as Celts. But you see, they were right across Europe. But uh, were they Celts then? At least in Gaul, I think they would come under that. Spelt with a K and not a C. Uh, Those who were in the German states of the Middle Europe seem to have been a much... Well, of course, they are a very much harder type of people, aren't they? They're very harsh. But uh, the Gaul, the people of Gaul, of course, it was to them that Joseph of Arimathea went to his friends there, you see. And then the deputation went from here... Uh, to beg him to come back and live in in, uh, this Spartan country. But uh, evidently, the the Gaul, both in Gaul and in Britain, the new religion, Christianity, as it came to be called, called the Way, of course, that was all it was known, but the Way and the Druid faith seemed to go merge one into the other. And nobody quite knows I don't think it ever did really that way I think there's a great deal I mean often when I look at the um, the elaborate robes uh, on Sunday morning and of course I don't go anywhere now and so I watch the service on Sunday morning and as I watch them I wish somebody would give all those old years a lesson in putting their coats on straight and not so locked off on shoulder it always makes me long to go and put them tidy uh, those robes which are used in the uh, religion both in the Roman church and in the Anglican church uh, those robes are very very similar there's not much change they're very similar and they're very similar to the robes that you see in even the Aztecs who of course are comparatively modern uh, and the old Mayan uh, pictures they're very similar robes and they all came from the same root and I don't think we can put like that and what's one lot and that's that lot they all merge mm-hmm. they all merge the name Druid is actually said to mean truth I think it has a relationship to a Welsh word meaning meaning truth, the truth. So really what we're saying is that Druidism was the, the, the religious or spiritual faith of the Celtic people. Oh and yes. That's the distinction that we need to make between the words. I, people get so tied up about the, the, the blood sacrifices. Well, I say they were, that was part of the course. But I do feel that the uh, orgies of the Middle Europe uh, was very much confined to that area. We don't find uh, half so many 
traditions of violence of that kind in, in Britain as we do in the uh, religious wars of the Middle Ages, the, the religious persecutions of the Middle Ages. Uh, they got nothing on them at all, just as bad. I mean, what does it do when you burn a person alive for what reason? You're still doing it. And with not so much cause. Because the Druids did not at any time, they, they, they're famous for their tolerance, for their acceptance of other people's views, of other people's way of life. They did not persecute. And I think that we should remember too. At what time, I, did you any idea at what time they uh, accepted the women as, as priestesses? In the, in the Druidic? Yes. I, so far as I know, they always wear. That's well, I have never found any, any records that they were shut out in any no. way. I don't know if there was any time in the, in the Druidic practice when women were uh, kept from participation oh they participate now is they go and dress up the new bard <laughs> that annoys me <laughs> sweep the floor and take up the collection this is why I left the church and started my own foundation because I just couldn't take it <laughs> it was all very well to join the choir that was wonderful but the choir was usually a social club and I didn't uh, I told them finally the last the choir I left I said if this is a choir for the part of the service for the glory of God I'm here but if it's a social club for the chief soprano no way and I left she was away she was ill or something and she was away for a year and they asked me to take her place I think she thought that place was going to remain empty and there'd be no soulless, nothing done. And when she came back and found that they put somebody else, well, I, you know, somebody had to do it. And I was quite prepared to move along when she came back, but that wasn't enough. And she kicked up to the shindy. I said, all right, that's the way you feel about it. I walked there. And it wasn't quite as bad as... as um, a man today I saw to it there's no reason to stay <laughs> I always did think he was very childish now has anybody got anything else they want to bring up or talk about when we mentioned the tiger being the symbol of Atlantis um, this is the symbol that Neptune yes Mm-hmm. And Britannia holds it. Britannia holds it. Yes. You see, we've got the symbol of Atlantis in our own crest, as it were. Oh yes. It's uh, if you watch for it, you can see it all the way. Uh, it's you don't get it so far, of course, to the east. Because this was the uh, this was the area, of course, that was ruled by Atlantis, and uh, where 
I was watching a program the other day that was showing the shifting in the Earth's surface and the various things. I watched the schools, so I found them more interesting than anything else. And uh, the British Isles were right down, and then they moved and moved and moved and moved and moved. Well, at what time? That was so many million years ago. You see, so many things have happened. And so many, there's a row of pyramids right across the floor of the Atlantic. Mm 